You are listening to the Sharp End Podcast, a podcast based on accidents in North American climbing. This podcast is brought to you by the American Alpine Club and sponsored by Mammut. Designed and developed in the Swiss Alps, Mammut has been making the finest alpine equipment since the 1860s. Driven by a continuous quest for innovation, Mammut's technical clothing, footwear, climbing gear, avalanche safety, and alpine equipment are distinguished by the highest quality, functionality, and safety. They embody Swiss technology and perfection. Mammut, absolute alpine. Thank you to the Colorado Hour Bound School and Sunto for the additional support. If you appreciate this podcast and you learn from this podcast, consider donating. It takes a lot for me and the American Alpine Club to produce this podcast every month, and a little bit goes a long way. If you'd like to donate, go to AmericanAlpineClub.org slash donations, click the drop-down menu, and toggle down to the sharp end, and voila, easy as that. I guess when I teach people how to climb... Uh, or I introduce new people how to climb, the two things that I say to them is one, like, you want to climb safe, and two, like, don't forget to have fun. And, like, the rest is bonus. Okay, picture this. A husband and wife escape the big city on a beautiful, warm, sunny day in January. They head to central Kentucky, specifically to the Red River Gorge. Now, this place has an amazing selection of routes, and because of that, it is one of the most popular climbing meccas east of the Mississippi. But what was planned to be a good weekend of climbing turned into, well, not the plan. So here is Stephen to tell you his story. My name is Stephen Lime Gruber, and currently I live in Columbus, Ohio. Um, I've been a listener to the show since episode one, and so I just really think it's an incredible community. It's an awesome show that has really given me a lot to to think about in my climbing, and to be able to be on the show and contribute is, is a real privilege to me. So I'm 36 years old. I work in a emergency room and trauma as a nurse. I've been there for about 14 years, and I'm about to finish a nurse practitioner program. Um, in the wilderness context, in about 2005, I went through a wilderness EMT program through the Wilderness Medicine Institute. And in 2009, I also did a wilderness upgrade for the medical professional. So I do have some background in wilderness medicine and um, emergency contexts away from the urban environment, but it's been quite a few years. Um, I started climbing about 23 years ago. Uh, I've climbed trad and, and a lot of amazing places, but being from Columbus, those are usually big trips that only happen uh, a couple or a few times a year if I'm lucky. And the time in between those trips can be spaced out uh, with sometimes not much climbing at all, depending on responsibilities. So when we can get out, uh, we get out. Um, but most of the time, I'm kind of a on-again, off-again, five-fun climber. Um, so on a previous episode, you had somebody who mentioned that people from the Midwest are known as like binge climbers. Although I hadn't heard that term, I knew exactly what they meant, where when you do get, when you do get a chance to go out, you want to make the most of it. Um, and uh, the day that uh, specifically I wanted to talk about today occurred during a, a warm weather window day in the first week of January. Um, my wife and I had been getting a little bit of cabin fever and wanted to get out. And we saw that, hey, it's going to be 50 degrees down in Red River Gorge. 
And so let's just get out, get down there, and uh, see what happens. Um, so although I have a lot of climbing experience, um, my wife, she was just starting to learn how to climb. She's super brave and excited about it, but she just didn't really have much background at all. So when we go out on trips, generally, I'm the person who kind of sets the tone, makes the the initial decisions on how the day is going to be, and um, and she is along for the ride to have fun. Um, but on this trip, we hadn't been out for a few months prior, prior to going down. Um, and during the Winter time in Kentucky, it can get quite cold. It's definitely the off season. Uh, and on the time that we were there, uh, the whole gorge seemed to be empty. Miguel's was closed, uh, no visitors. We really didn't see one other person out during that day. Uh, we decided to go to the North Gorge area, uh, specifically an area called Fortress Wall. That area has uh, some of the highest concentrations of quality and easy trad lines in one area. Um, it's also on forest service land, uh, so there's no cell signal and there's not a lot of road signage. And in uh, in that area, the roads can be kind of twisty and you take some turns to get where you're going. Um, once we got to Fortress Wall, uh, we kind of racked up and, and enjoyed it. Sounds beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. Um, and yeah, it's a, it is a go-to spot to make the a hasty escape from Columbus when you get the chance. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. We climbed a few routes. Uh, the, the more memorable one is one a classic down in the gorge called Bedtime for Bonzo. It's this uh, kind of meandering two-pitch 5-6 with this beautiful exposed finish. Uh, we took our time doing that and finished out the day there, uh, rappelled down from that route. And on the, on the hike back out, we passed some other climbs, specifically one called Snake, which is a 60-foot, a 5-8 crack, a pretty straightforward. And although it was getting dark, the temps were starting to drop, uh, the clouds were building up and it looked kind of like it was about to start raining. I thought, you know, I'm here. I want to make the most of this trip. Like, hey, do you mind if I get on this one real quick? Uh, she wasn't planning on climbing anymore. I was just going to go up real quick and come back down. So I racked up. Uh, the crux of the route is actually a little bit lower down. There's it's kind of an awkward uh, shape of the crack. And once you get past that, it's a straightforward uh just plugging gear and jams up to the top. Uh, I protected the lower half of the route uh, very nicely. Uh, obviously, you want to protect the bottom half of the route uh, with gear that's closer together. Uh, but as I reached the halfway point, I started to space out my placements. And really, I spaced them out too far apart. After the halfway point, I only really put in two cams in the other upper half of the climb. Um, a common theme that uh, a lot of people are familiar with in new trad climbers is le learning to trust the gear um, and know that your gear is good or thinking of your gear as like the same as uh, clipping bolts with sport climbing once you've placed it correctly. Um, and I was kind of patting myself on the back thinking, you know, it's been a while since I've been climbing, but I'm really feeling good. I'm kind of tired at the end of the day, but, you know, I'm, I was just letting ego get in the way rather than, uh, being careful about what I was doing. Uh, so about halfway up, uh, a little after halfway up, I placed a number eight Trango, which is similar to uh, like a number three C4 with a black diamond cam cams. And then maybe about 10 feet higher up, I plugged in a yellow uh, number two C4. I was feeling pretty tired, but I was telling myself that, you know what, like I shouldn't need to rest on 5.8 um, because I was comparing myself to maybe previous levels of fitness in the past. Um, and thinking like, oh, I should be able to do this. And so uh, instead of stopping to rest, I just kept going. Um, and right up at the top of the route, um, there's some juggy finish moves that are slightly up and to the right. 
And as I was pulling uh, my hands on the jugs, uh, pulling up, uh, my hands just slipped off. I wasn't really even uh, anticipating the fall or feeling super worked, uh, but for whatever reason, uh, I peeled off the climb. And as I fell, my foot kind of hit the wall. And what that caused was it spun my body so that such that I was parallel to the ground um, rather than feet first. And I was also face down. So um, oh, how scary. It was it was pretty surreal. So initially, um, I was just expecting kind of uh, an abrasive swing. And all of a sudden, I realized I was falling a quite a bit further than I expected. And I had enough time during this fall that uh, I could, and I'm facing down, so I can see these jagged rocks below and and uh, my wife Maria down there and thinking, I'm really not sure that I'm going to survive this hit or even be able to be conscious uh, once I hit the ground. Um, so, and then suddenly the rope caught um, and because I was sideways, I didn't get caught in the seat of my harness, like a nice gentle fall. I got caught only by the waistband and, um, it kind of was this violent stop, uh, at the end of my rope. And my wife, uh, to my advantage in this context, uh, she's quite a bit smaller. She's 4'11 and about maybe 105 pounds. I'm 5'10, 155. So, um, although she didn't, was fairly new to, to climbing and new to lead climbing. She didn't try to give me any kind of a catch, but because she's so small, she was pulled up. And uh, eventually I stopped about eight to 10 feet above the ground, almost level with her. Like we, she got pulled up. Uh, about, yeah. <laughs> and um, also uh, very thankfully I had had her step in close to the wall on the, in the initial belay. Um, and she had stayed there. So thankfully, and with this whipper, she had, did not get, you know how people tend to stand back from the wall once the lead climber gets up. She was not pulled into the wall. She was rather mostly just pulled straight up. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so once I stopped, I realized that the yellow number two that I had had placed ripped out, and the the cam that caught my fall was the the number eight trango, which was uh, at about maybe forty feet up, uh, as an estimate, maybe. Um, so. I did a brief kind of like self-evaluation. She lowered us both down to the ground, and then immediately she uh, just started weeping. She burst out crying. Uh, Obviously, it was a hugely traumatic, stressful experience, uh, especially for her, not knowing what to expect with a fall like this. She thought she was just watching me uh, fall to my death uh, right in in front of her. Um, So we took a few minutes to collect ourselves. Um, Ultimately, The main injury that I had from the fall was uh, my right lower ribs were deformed. I either dislocated or broke several of them, but otherwise, uh, miraculously, like that was it. I didn't have any um, significant damage, injuries, broken bones, or anything like that. Uh, We climbed. Yeah, well, luckily, well, luckily you didn't hit the ground. I mean, it sounds (laughs) like you were super close from hitting the ground, and that, and then you know, it would have been way, way worse. And she Absolutely. and she was belaying you on a grigri, wasn't she? Yeah, I had her on a grigri. She actually prefers uh, because she, she's uh, she's very petite and tiny. Um, she prefers using an ATC, but that day I because uh, it's a little bit smaller and easier to manage. But on that day, with just the two of us there, um, I had had her on a grigri. So um, the uh, assisted braking device was absolutely, I think. Um, 
an element of, of safety here that really um, helped mm-hmm. out. So um, I didn't want to leave my gear. Uh, so I decided to uh, basically on, on, on top rope to my last cam placement, um, once we kind of collected ourselves, I, I climbed back up, cleaned the route, and I just plugged in a, a stopper uh, and uh, had her lower me off the stopper and, and cleaned the route. Um, and then after that, uh, it was starting to rain. Uh, the temperatures had dropping, started dropping and we, we packed up and we made the way out to the, to the car. Um, okay. So go ahead and tell, um, me and the listeners exactly what you and your wife learned from this event. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Um, due to the kind of work that I do, um, it just really impressed on me, uh, just how fortunate we were because, Small things that are overlooked can line up and and result in a catastrophic event, um, and we had a near miss with that. And so I took a lot of time reflecting on uh, what what almost went wrong, but if it had gone wrong, what how were we prepared, or what should we have done? And one of the first things that stuck out to me was that we hadn't really shared our specific location with anyone. Um, I had a sister in Lexington, Kentucky, which is a few hours away. And although she knew that we were in the gorge, that's a huge place. And that's a lot different than saying, I plan to be at this crag for this amount of time. And I'll let you know when I get back to cell signal uh, that everything is fine. Um, And another thing that was uh, significant and a fault of mine was that um, although when taking somebody out who's kind of a newer climber, you don't want to overwhelm them with things to think about. But um, I had just had a mindset of taking my taking Maria out for a fun day out uh, and I didn't make it a point to involve her with the logistics so what that meant was um, she would not have known how to drive back out on the forest service roads that don't have signs at night Um, she didn't have cell signal there was no GPS um, and if she had had those things, she still would not have been able to adequately describe her location or, or direct people on where to get to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my fault. Um, and another thing, too, is know how to help. I had had training, uh, but it had was years old. I had gotten slack on staying up on the basics. And Maria really hadn't had any chance to do training just by the nature of, uh, of her life up until that point. Uh, what kind of training do you mean? Training that is specific to how to respond to an accident that occurs when you don't have urban resources readily available, when you can't call 911. Right. So like a wilderness first responder. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can have all the training in the world, but it doesn't help if you're the one who's hurt. Right. And I, right. Yeah. And, uh, so, um, even just some basic things like, Hey, if something happens, like the keys to the car are at this spot in my pack, uh, this was the last place that we had cell signal and this is how to get there. Uh, even just basic things like that. Um, another thing too, is we hadn't been climbing for a while and I was pushing it and not recognizing my limits. Um, so although I have, you know, over two decades of climbing experience, I hadn't had any for the last two or three months prior to that day. And I was out of climbing shape and pushing it beyond what I was able to uh, for that day uh, in, a, in a high risk environment where it was just the two of us with no one else around. So that kind of ties into uh, it was a 
significant lesson learned to check my ego, to check ego and avoid unnecessary risk. Uh, I had been patting myself on the back about being comfortable running out my upper placements um, and feeling fine about doing it. But the reality is um, I was on a short, a 60 foot climb is not a big climb. And I'd only placed two cams on the second half of that. And if the second one had ripped out, I absolutely would have decked. Um, And the other ridiculous thing is I had enough gear on my harness and I didn't even use it. Um, I had nothing to prove to anyone. And I just should have plugged an extra piece of gear or rested uh, or just taken a break. Um, but instead, uh, I let I let ego and pride uh, lead the way, and it ended up getting us into trouble. Um, and additionally, um, because I did that, I caused a really stressful uh, negative experience for Maria. Um, she, being new to climbing, is really loving it and getting into it. And um, she had an emotionally bad experience that really took some time getting over. Um, thankfully, um, she has been able to get past that. And we do, we just got back from a trip out to uh, California where we climbed in, uh, outside of Lone Pine and the Joshua tree and just had a beautiful time. But, um, my poor choices made her new climber experience, um, more complicated than it needed to be. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a big one. Um, I just, uh, did a episode with Laura McGladry. Um, and she talked a lot about stress injuries and, um, and how prevalent they are in the outdoor community with all these accidents that are happening. Mm -hmm. And as a result from people seeing an accident happen, like your wife watched you fall and how, you know, how traumatizing that can be. Um, so I think the, that Mm -hmm. injury itself gets glossed over quite a bit because we are so hyper-focused on, you know, the climber's injury of the broken ribs. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, and so another thing that uh, came up out of this was care for your partner or the people that you're with. Um, I think getting to introduce other people to the beautiful world of adventure sports, it really is an incredible privilege, and especially um, when that person's a good friend or a loved one. Um, but um, in my risk assessment, um, you know, I was only really thinking about myself. And I think when we go out and we take risks or we do things, um, it's easy, especially in a a context that we might feel comfortable or familiar in to have too narrow a scope of risk assessment. Um, and what I mean by that is there are so many other people that can be affected by our choices, um, death and and loss and, and how we deal with that is, is huge in the, in the outdoor community right now, I think it's a, a, a theme that we're finally starting to to recognize and to deal with. Um, and as an example, in my case, what that risk assessment would have looked like is, you know, my wife is somebody who came from Peru to the U.S. to learn English, was working her butt off in school uh, to become a registered nurse, had all these dreams that she was trying to fulfill. Uh, we had recently just got married at the time, and uh, I almost became permanently or severely disabled, uh, if not lost my life. And that would have completely derailed her life. And it, it was a really selfish risk of, of mine to take. Um, and we can't avoid all risk in life, but I think it's important to be aware of, of, of that there are oftentimes a lot more elements involved than, than just us and our personal choices. Yeah. Wow. That is a huge learning on your part, Stephen. Well, it's incredibly humbling. Um, and Honestly, like 
when I when I walked away, and you know, I'm laying at home feeling like I got a second lease on life, uh, knowing how easily I got off. Um, initially, I kind of thought, you know what, I everybody has an experience where they rip gear or they take a whipper. Like it's just, I kind of downplayed it and realized, you know, like this wasn't some epic on the side of um, some Nepalese first descent mountain that get is going to get written up in the AAC highlights. <laughs> um, but it was a big deal. And I think it it was pretty, it's also maybe more typical of the kind of climbing that most of us do and the kind of easy accidents that um, sneak up on us and can uh, potentially have a life-altering uh, consequence. Right. Most people, most climbers are crag climbers. Most climbers, I'm going to venture to yeah. say, are, you know, single pitch uh yeah, people that just go to crags and just do five to 10 climbs a day um, if they have the ability to um, access outdoor crags. Um, it's not the folks, just exactly. like what you're saying, it's not the folks who can go to Red Rocks and do, you know, a month climbing or two weeks climbing super nice, long, sustained moderates. Th- those those trips are few mm-hmm. and far between for for the majority of climbers. So you're totally right that the yeah. you know it's it's we need to start paying attention to these single pitch climbing accidents that where heuristic traps often get in the way. Exactly, most accidents generally occur close to home because that's where we spend most of our time, and uh, it's easy to uh, get lax about safety close to home. But um, it's important that we uh, don't forget our basics. So. So those are some good learnings. And what do you want to leave the listeners with? Like if you were to tell our listeners one thing that I'm going to take away from this episode, what, what would it be? That's a great question. Um, I would say just don't forget the simple, the fundamental things. Like uh, you listen to um, Chris Calus and the Enormo cast and he ends it with like, always check your knot. Like, don't forget to check your knot. And it's like, it's these simple things that we neglect that are the routine. Tell somebody where you're at. Um, have uh, a plan for if something does go wrong. Um, I, don't, I don't know if there's another way to sum it, up, sum it up other than just say, don't forget the basics. Like, those really simple foundational three or four things that we should do every time we go out, whether it's close to home or in a super remote area. Um, and be vigilant about that. So, I love that. Don't forget the basics. Don't forget the basics. That's great. Hey, if you're a podcaster, filmmaker, or brand seeking audio solutions, check out Podpeak. You can learn more about the work they do at podpeak.com. Thank you to Mammut for being the headlining sponsor. And thank you to the Colorado Hourbound School and Sunto for being contributing sponsors. The Colorado Hourbound School has been changing lives through challenge and discovery for more than 55 years. They offer wilderness expeditions in Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Alaska, and Ecuador. Courses range in 8 to 81 days in length for ages 12 plus and include backpacking, mountaineering, canyoneering, rafting, and rock climbing. Visit www. Cobs.org to plan your next adventure. When you have your mind set on a certain goal or adventure, you want to make sure your watch can also go the distance. 
With up to 120 hours of continuous exercise tracking, the Sunto 9 is built to last just like you. It is also tested tough through hundreds of hours of military grade testing and built with durability in mind. Join the American Alpine Club today for an exclusive discount on the Sunto 9. Until next time, play hard and be smart.